FinTech What the Heck. I'm your host, Andrew Carpenter. This is the podcast all about FinTech and the future of data. Today, I'm going to be talking to Rachel Carpenter, the CEO of Intrudio, and I've also got Chelsea Caltuna, senior content creator. She's going to be talking to us about how to promote your business. Intrudio has been getting a lot of requests lately for a very specific kind of data. We've had our customers and uh, a lot of our user community been asking for data that tracks the trades made by Congress. So this would be the Senate and House of Representatives um, at the federal level. So the SEC actually mandates that um, Congress report their trades for very very easy to understand reasons. There's some conflicts of interest there. Uh, and just lately on like the Twitter sphere and around the internet, people have been wanting to see what those trades are. I think a lot of it has to do with holding Congress accountable. So people are just kind of interested in, um, are, is Congress um, passing legislation or promoting bills that um, furthers their own interest? And are they voting uh, in the American people's interest or are they voting in their own interest? So Congress... Um, has to report this data, and you can get it from the SEC. Um, that they publish it. They have a really nice website, um, but um, it's in kind of like a manual format. So if you want to to look at that data, you can um, just go and copy paste it, read it, do your own research from their website. It's not really an effective uh, solution for a lot of companies. So we partnered with a company called QuiverQuant. They have a nice API that allows you to get that data. Uh, QuiverQuant.com is their website. And they've gone out and collected that data from the SEC's website and made it available in a really clean, easy format. So you kind of track what's going on. And I like that the format that they have because um, if you're a quantitative trader, hedge fund, big banks, something like that, um, you'd have to kind of pay an analyst to watch that, the SEC site where that data is being reported. Um, and you don't want to have to pay that person all the time. And they're going to be probably a little too slow. So if you work with um, Intrinio, we can connect you with QuiverQuant. Don't pay any more to work with us. Well, we can go to them directly. And you can make alerts for the data. So you'd be able to know exactly when those trades come in and keep an eye on it. So something to look into, check out QuiverQuant.com and uh, reach out to us if you're interested. Um, I think that there's... It's probably a little too early to tell how much alpha is in that data. So, like, can you know a trade by a certain senator from Wyoming buying or selling some stock? Does that actually lead to performance? I'm not really sure yet. Um, but and since it's kind of a public data set, I wouldn't be surprised if that alpha gets eaten up from that data relatively quickly. But it could be uh, for some models, it might be helpful. The website where this data is disclosed as sec.report slash senate dash stock dash disclosures. So you can see the raw data coming in there um, for the purchases and sales made by Congress. There's kind of a disturbing amount of trade activity going on for those of us that don't trade stocks um, uh, in large frequent quantities, but the um, you can check out the raw data there um, and you can search by ticker. You can also... Uh, Try to, um, to attach to a feed of it, but 
Um, that's where the raw data is, and it's been coming up a lot, so check it out. Let's get into it. Um, Chelsea's with us. You can probably see her. Uh, hey, Chelsea. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you want to just give a little introduction of who you are and uh, maybe a little bit about your background. Tell us where, where you are in the world. Sure. Uh, my name's Chelsea. I'm the senior content creator for Intrinio. Uh, I live in Largo, Florida, which is pretty great. I love it here. Um, our CEO, Rachel, calls me our resident word fairy, which I think is a better title than senior <laughs> content creator. Uh, I was talking to her yesterday or the other day, and she was like, uh, it's magic the way that you find words. And I was like, no, I, I open the thesaurus and I look up <laughs> alternatives to words. And she was like, no, I don't believe that. It's magic. <laughs> so that's thesaurus, is that like a dinosaur? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the thesaurus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're so clever. I don't know why you don't do our marketing. <laughs> oh, I used to. Um, cool. So what's it, tell me about like how you got into writing. So uh, I've pretty much been writing my whole life. Um, like I have book reports from like fourth grade that I reread sometimes. And I'm like, this is actually pretty good. Like this, <laughs> it's always been like the one thing that I was really good at. Um, and I always mm -hmm. loved doing. And then when I was in college, I studied journalism, but it's mm -hmm. like very high pressure. And I just, you know, I didn't really think it was the right career path for me. So I kind of stumbled into marketing and I love it because, you know, I write all the time and I get to talk to a lot of different people and learn from them and really just learn a lot of stuff like I never even knew existed, <laughs> which is, I think this is such an interesting thing about writing is that you're not really like an expert in one thing. You're just learning from the experts in everything. Um, right. And it's really fun. I never run out of stuff to learn, especially at Intrinio, because everything is like, it goes so much deeper than... <laughs> you think and it's like there's just so many different aspects to it and everything changes so quickly so it's just like always interesting can you send us some of those book reports i wrote <laughs> i will tell you i wrote this one that was like uh it was the life of a coin i think it was a school assignment that we had and so the coin like traveled throughout history and like saw all these events and stuff it was like the forest gump <laughs> a quarter and right. uh i reread it as an adult i was like actually like this might be better writing than i do now <laughs> maybe you should go back to that just write I a book could. i you know i really gotta retap into my creative roots here yeah um so like our audience are probably if they're interested in fintech they probably work at a fintech company or they're in the industry so can you tell them like how um you like what's the value of writing about fintech for a business or a fintech business like how does that translate into like revenue or leads um like the writing that you do yeah um you know a lot of times we help kind of early stage companies that really are a little like overwhelmed about getting started especially with data which is our area of expertise and, you know, when you're starting a company, you just have like so many things to think about. Like you're wearing so many hats, you just have so many things to try to figure out. It can be really overwhelming. So we try to come in and break things down really easily for people. So it's like, these are the steps that you really need to get to. Um, you know, like basically we want to be guiding you through, you know, all of the process and just making it easier for you. 
So I try to write a lot of content that just makes things simple. Like I, you know, I know personally, I don't really relate to super technical writing. Some people do, but I think a lot of people, even especially in the beginning of the process, like just want something simple. They want to look at a website and be like, what exactly do you do? Can I get what I need here? And they don't want to have to sort through like a million things and really complicated business jargon to understand. I hate business jargon is like my biggest pet peeve in the world. I Absolutely the worst. <laughs> so any, yeah, anytime you're like synergy, I'm like, I'm out. I can't, I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, democratizing data. Yeah. Oh God. Just, yeah. Just anything where it's like, we're going to help you with a paradigm. Like I I can't, I don't do any of that. Like I will talk to you the way I would talk to you in a normal conversation. Cause I think that's how people want to be talked to. Um, And people just want to learn. I mean, when you're, you know, we have been through the startup process more or less. And, you know, we have a lot of advice that we can give people and just a lot of like ways that we can partner with them and help them get through it. And just make the whole process a lot less stressful. Um, and then, you know, we just are always creating new technology. And sometimes, you know, we really have to dive into like use cases and showing people how it can benefit their business so they can visualize it better. Um, and it's so interesting to just like see how the same technology can help so many different types of people advance their business. Does, do you think Intranio gets a lot of like traction and leads from all this writing that you do? Like, like, is it, I think it's key to our success, but like for other companies that don't have quite as much content created as we have made, like what, what would you say to them? Like, is it worth investing all that time and energy in writing all that content? Or is there some other like solution to, to getting the word out about your business? Yeah. Well, there is a big saying content is king. And I think that's still Mm. true. Um, What content looks like has changed a lot. Um, So we do so many different types of content. And the good news is that a lot of content can be repurposed. So, you know, if you're writing blogs, um, those can be turned into videos or vice versa. Um, You could pull like social media posts out of that. You can put a lot of things together in different ways. And so, you know, a lot of people now are kind of gravitating towards video. They like to watch video. Some people like the written word. So you kind of want to have a lot of different types of content. But like I said, it's very easy to make different types of content on the same topic without spending like a lot of time on each one. Um, It's very easy to repurpose things. But yeah, honestly, I mean, content is, you know, we've written content six, seven years ago that still gets us leads. Um, as long as you are keeping things updated, which is really important, um, you know, and just making sure that everything that's available, all the content that you have is really useful. And, you know, sometimes we have content, it's no longer useful, we get rid of it, or we have to update it. Um, but it still bring, you know, it still brings us in leads. I don't think any business can really survive without content marketing, but it will look different for every company, you kind of just have to try a lot of things and see what's like successful for your industry, for your business. How often do you go through and prune all that content? Like, is that like something you spend a little bit of time every week on or do you do it like once um, a quarter? It depends. Usually if we update a product because our products were constantly like making them better, adding improvements and making changes. Um, and so if, you know, for instance, we add a new feature to options, then I will go back through all our options content and update all that. 
Regularly, I do it maybe every couple months. I'll look through all our blogs, especially the ones that are a few years old. Um, you know, you got to check for things like broken links is really important because that can really hurt your mm. SEO. Um, you want to make sure that all the products that are mentioned are still things that, that are available. Sometimes like, you know, if our sales process has changed, we need to update some of that information, which has definitely been really important for us. So like I said, I mean, whatever the... Um, whatever the content is that you have, it needs to still be relevant. Like even if a person lands on a blog from seven years ago, there's no reason that that blog shouldn't be updated so that they have the best information on your business. Because if they go to an old blog and they click a broken link, they're not going to think, well, this blog is seven years old. It happens. They're going to think this link is broken. I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. Yep. Do you have some like content that outperforms other content like that you could just tell is like, wow, this is a rock star piece of content that, that really engages with our right market. Yeah, we, um, we definitely have a couple things that have stood out. One, I, I remember right off the top of my head. Um, we have a blog that explains how we standardize, standardize our fundamentals. And it's like a pretty in-depth blog. Usually we have, uh, you know, weekly trainings at Intrinio where the experts in the different departments will, dive into how the technology works, you know, what they're working on um, to help the rest of the company understand. And I will always turn those into uh, blogs and stuff, you know, so obviously without giving away <laughs> our company secrets, but just helping people really understand what goes on behind the technology because it is very complex and people often have a lot of questions about it. So yes, we had that blog about how Intranio standardizes fundamentals. It's pretty long and it goes really in depth about our standardization process. And that has had a really high conversion rate for us. Um, you know, people want to see what's under the hood, especially our type of customers. And, you know, it really depends on the type of customers that you have. We are business to business. So we work with developers uh, primarily and they, you know, they are a lot more curious. They want more in-depth content. Whereas if you're B2C, you know, they might want something a little bit simpler. Um, so yeah, to me, it's like kind of a tiered approach. It's like you start with something very simple, like our sales materials and, um, are kind of initial like landing pages and stuff that people see right off the gate. You know, it's not quite so in depth, but if they want to know more, then we have the option for them to go into content that explains things in greater detail. And a lot of our customers are just genuinely interested in that. They, you know, they really like to understand how things work. That is how their, their mind works. Um, so, you know, that's always worked out really well for us. Videos are also really nice for us. Webinars um, is something that we started doing relatively recently and uh, people really like webinars because they can ask questions in real time. They can hear, you know, <clears throat> directly from the people who have built the products. And it really is just like they feel involved in the process. And um, it really has helped us to generate a lot of good leads. You mentioned the conversions on that, on some of that content. Like, how do you think about conversions? Like, what is a conversion? What does that even mean? And like, how do you, how do you get more of them? Sure. It's uh, so our kind of number one metric for how we track conversions is uh, people who request a consultation. So it's a form that people can fill out that basically requests a meeting with our team. Um, and then our team reviews those and sets up a meeting, if, you know, to get to know if we can really help this business, if we have what they need. Uh, so that is our number one. We used to have a lot of different, uh, I would say, like calls to action 
um, where it was like, you can sign up for this and you can sign up for this and you can do this and you can do that. And I think that gets really confusing very quickly if you give people too many options, mm-hmm. even, like the decision. <laughs> so uh, it's, you know, we simplified everything uh, about a year ago to just the request a consultation. So it's one place that people can go. It's really simple. It's really straightforward. People who are on the website always know what they're supposed to do to move forward. Um, so that's the number one way that we track it. There are also what I, I guess are called like half conversions. So we'll have things like, you know, we have a sign up form on our blog where you can join our email, our email list, um, and, and get like regular emails from us. Um, things like that, where people are still giving us their contact information and then we will send them, for example, our monthly newsletter, Um, and really just keep in touch with them. And this is good for people who aren't quite ready, but you know, when they get to a point where they are ready to make a move with data, we are right there. They already know kind of what we offer. They're familiar with our products. Um, and again, they know exactly how to reach out to us when they're ready. So conversions, I mean, getting more conversions is always, that's the whole basis of marketing. (laughs) Got to convert. Yeah. I mean, there's no, like that's, that's, that's the eternal question. That's, the answer is 42. I don't know. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's something we're always working on, especially, you know, our business model has really shifted. You know, we've really focused more on on giving good service to enterprise clients because that's where our products are now. Um, and, you know, so we're still in the process of always trying to figure out how to reach out to them better. Um, and you know, a lot of it is just knowing what they need. That's really what content marketing is based on is what questions do these people have? What are they asking for? What do they need to know? Sometimes they know which questions they need answered. And sometimes they don't, like I said, you know, sometimes they don't even know where to start. Um, so content marketing has really shifted away from just the straight sales approach to thinking more about, you know, what questions these people have, how can we be helpful and hopefully build that trust so that when they want to buy, you know, data or whatever product it is that you're selling, they'll know this is a company that knows what they're doing. I trust them. I'm familiar with them. That's kind of the, uh, (laughs) it's not a simple answer, but that's really the, yeah, the basis. Yeah. Your content's building a relationship with lots of people and nurturing them regardless of how engaged they are and how, how much they know about the business. Um, I think that's a really interesting process. Do you, um, do you find, I know a lot of people kind of regardless of what they do uh, or what industry they're in, there, there's like a problem with distraction, like from Slack and messages and email and all this different stuff coming into your, to your world. But I think it's particularly tough to write in that environment. Like how do you, how do you focus to get all this content made? Uh, yeah, I think the, the writers and the devs on our team, we both have the same thing where it's like, we have to really get in the zone because if you get distracted, it's like impossible. Um, I, (laughs) I really, I don't know. I mean, I love to write, so I can write through a lot of distractions. It's fine. Just like I can sleep through everything. I can pretty much write through everything. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, for me, like I have, you know, I have my preset Slack statuses. I have a couple. So, um, one of them is the little Easter Island head and it just says like head down and that's what I put on. Or I have a wand nice. that says focus, focus, because that's our, you know, that's our thing at Antonio. So I'll put one of those up if it's like a time when I don't have any meetings and, you know, I just really need to focus on something. Um, I'll do that. I'll close Slack out because I'm one of those people who will like check Slack a lot, even when I don't need to. It's like, a, you know, how you keep your hands busy. Mm-hmm. You're like having a cigarette. 
Exactly. So either like scrolling on your phone, like it's just a really hard habit to break. Yep. So I have to close it out completely. That really helps me. Um, and I usually, I have to, I have to play music. Like I can't, I can't write in silence. That's crazy. That's madness. I can't yep. edit with music on, but I have to write with music on. Psychopath writes with no music on. Isn't seriously like that person is not right. Mm-hmm. That's like serial someone cereal, <laughs> like eat, puts the milk in the bowl and then puts the cereal. In. It's not right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I have my music on, I like crank that up and, you know, I just go into it, but really it's like, I love doing it and it's very easy for me to get in the zone usually. Um, once maybe every like couple months I'll have writer's block and that is the worst thing. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I don't yeah, how long does that last? Oh my God. Usually like a day. It's not that bad, but it's just hard. It's well to lose the ability of like the one thing that you really enjoy doing and that you get paid to oh do. Oh my gosh. It's terrifying. It's a kryptonite for Superman. You're suddenly helpless. It's terrible. And there's no cure for it. You just have to like, you know, if I get stuck on something, I just have to go do something else. That's, you know, I think that's all you can really do is like, I just focus on another task, especially if I can do something like kind of mindless where you're just like entering data or whatever. (laughs) And then Uh you can come back to it with a fresh mind. And then usually by that time I'm fine. But, um, yeah, I, you know, it's so easy for me to slip in the zone. And sometimes I'll just look up at the computer and be like, oh man, it's been like four hours. <laughs> I love it. Um, can you tell some advice to people that might not already have uh, someone like you on their team? Like, how would you go about hiring uh, someone who can build out content for their fintech business that will help them, you know, generate leads and, and be successful? Like, what should they be looking for in that person? Sure. Um, yeah, it, you know, there's so many different needs. And I think when you are starting, you know, you really just need someone who can do everything. So like when I was hired on, um, we did have a director of marketing and she did a lot of the strategy, but, you know, and Trinio really needed someone who could just like cover all the bases. <laughs> so you don't necessarily want to be really specialized in the beginning. That's why my title is just content creator, because I create content for not just like the marketing and the lead generation, but I also create it for like our customer success team. Um, I've helped with documentation. Like I've worked across basically all the content that exists in our company. So I think in the beginning, yeah, you don't necessarily want to be too specialized um, as the company grows. You know, obviously you can get people in more specialized roles. Like, you know, now we have a campaign manager and everything. Um, But yeah, in the beginning, you want someone a little who can just sort of be flexible Um, also I remember in my interview, our CEO, Rachel asked if I wrote for fun, which I thought was a really interesting question. And Mm -hmm. I told everybody, you were there. (laughs) Like I told everybody that I, you know, I write for fun and I actually write like fan fiction and stuff. And I was like, I can't believe I'm admitting this (laughs) during a business. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. So it was just, well, now I just, now I just admitted it to the whole world. Um, But it was just fun. It was interesting because, you know, she really wanted to understand, like, you know, is writing a job or is it something that I love? And it is something that I love. Yes. I think that, that was a good answer. You know, she wanted to see if that was something like I would devote time outside of work to doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really valuable. Just I mean, like any job, finding passion is really important um, because writing is, you know, writing is a hard job. There is a lot of like mental energy involved. Um, and if you have someone who's really just passionate about it, that helps. Also a lot of companies do writing tests, which I think is really valuable. Um, I don't think I did one for this company. What I have writing samples. 
Um, but yeah, always get writing samples. Um, a lot of companies will just do brief writing tests. Maybe you'll write like a sample blog or a few sample, you know, social posts, or you'll edit a piece of content that has errors in it. And that's just a really good way to test their practical skills. Um, and, and just get to kind of know, I mean, you know, no writer is perfect, but you can get an idea of where they're starting from. You know, if they have any weaknesses, then you can decide, you know, if that's something you can work with them on or, um, just really get an idea of, of who they are as a writer. Everyone has a different style and you want to make sure that that style fits your company and your, um, you know, your messaging, um, or that it's a voice that could enhance your messaging, which I think is really important. I love that because I think it applies. It's easy to understand writers like, do you write for fun? But the same things for developers and people in FinTech, like, do you write code for fun? Like, what have you done? In, you know, what have you written code for that you didn't do for work that you were just interested in? If you're in finance, you know, like, tell me, like, are you investing? Do you follow markets? Like, what kind of data do you like to look at when you're trying to understand things? I think if you can get people to bring that passion to work because they love what they they love what they're doing you're going to have a really successful team. It makes a lot of sense to me. And just that willingness to learn is huge too. Like that curiosity, because, you know, like I said, you know, no one starting out knows everything. When I came into Entrenio, I didn't have a finance background, but, you know, if you have someone that's just willing to learn and really open to listening and, and learning from the people around them, um, that's super important. And I think that's something you can get a sense for in an interview, you know, just like someone who's really, absorbing, you know, they're not just thinking about how they're going to answer things, but they're absorbing what everyone else is saying and really trying to like understand the vibe of the company. Um, I think that can tell you a lot about a person. Perfect. Well, thanks, Chelsea. That was amazing. I love to hear about writing. I'm a writer myself and I'm super happy that you let me interview you. Um, and now we'll go to a commercial break. Do we have any sponsors for this show yet? Probably not. Huh? <laughs> And today I'm with Rachel Carpenter, the co-founder and CEO of Intrino. She also happens to be my sister. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, well, let's jump right into it. Yeah, you started in college as a musical theater major. How the heck did you get from there to fintech entrepreneurship? It's a bit of a jump, isn't it? Um, yeah, I've always been kind of split brain, right down the middle, left brain, right brain. Um, I was into singing, acting, dancing, all of the above, loved theater, but I also really loved math um, and was very good at it. And so that was always a balance for me. Um, and I was studying theater, but just on a whim, I took an intro to finance course and in a very nerdy fashion, saw the present value of money formula and something clicked and I was like, this is beautiful. And I dove right in and I'll, I'll never forget the class I took because I went straight to the office and changed my major and I really never looked back. So I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss some of the art side of myself, um, but I, I get to tap in there in some other different ways as the CEO of a startup. So that comes in handy. Um, but that's kind of was, that was the, the pivot turning point when I decided, um, let me go after learning more about business, entrepreneurship and finance. Um, and it was being in the business school that brought me to my co-founder who had a great idea. And then we were kind of off to the races at that point in time. Nerd alert. Nerd awesome. alert. Yep. Do you, do you think you, as like a CEO, you kind of get to be on stage anyway? 
Yeah. I mean, you are the face of the company. You're pitching constantly, always from a, whether you're raising money from investors, helping with big sales calls, partnerships, PR, marketing, speaking engagements. Yeah. You're constantly pitching as the face of the company. And so I think that there are actually some skills I had that really came in handy. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I think you're, you're on stage all the time with our, with all of our team. Um, one of your personal models is hungry and humble. I know where that came from, uh, but do you want to maybe tell our audience where that came from? Yeah, I actually have it tattooed on my wrist. Um, So our dad, Andrew, Andrews and my dad um, used to write me letters all the time. He left me cards and notes and things and just inspirational words of advice. And he would always, after at the end of every letter he wrote me, he would sign it hungry and humble, love dad. Um, So I actually had his handwriting carbon copied from one of those letters and put it on my wrist, but that's kind of how we were raised who we are, um, I think what kind of drives us as siblings um, and entrepreneurs together now. And that has really, I think, leaked a lot through into our culture as a company as well. We've tended to hire people that are really smart, really nice. <laughs> and I think that's that's the balance that everyone should strive for. So it I'm means- su- I'm super hungry all the time as well, yeah. um, awesome. in more ways than one. Um, yeah, I think we, we've probably started multiple businesses together. I don't know if you remember, but we had a lemonade stand at one point. I have a really cool picture of that. I should probably find. And we misspelled lemonade on it. That's how little we were. Adorable. Then that. Yeah. But we then we also have like a, we made money playing our musical instruments. Yep. We sat on the side of the road with a tuba and a bassoon and played yeah. some mediocre elementary music and got paid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Probably just making money for being adorable. Um, what? Okay, so let's talk more about Antonio. So why does the company exist? What's the problem that you're solving? So my co-founder and I were originally trying to build an app for investors that would help them determine whether to buy or sell a stock. Very high level. Um, to build anything innovative in capital markets and fintech, you need data because data is kind of like the gas uh, behind everything that happens. And so to build anything innovative, whether it's an app or a tool or a platform or an AI or even an algorithmic trading strategy, anything innovative that you're building, you're going to need data. We um, illegally screen scraped it from 10,000 plus websites because we didn't know where to get it. And when we found out that that was highly illegal and we couldn't launch our website that way, um, we had to go out and buy it. We got quoted $70,000, $80,000 a month and realized that there are two huge problems behind the scenes in finance with the supply chain for all of this data. Um, There's five companies that have kind of a stronghold on the industry. They use very outdated methods for sourcing and cleaning the data, lots of human capital processes. So getting your hands on this information so that you can build with it is complete. It's inaccessible to people who are just getting started and trying to build innovative things. Far too expensive. And uh, no one's really catered on, innovators, engineers, developers, quants, technical end users who require APIs, SDKs, really good developer tools so that they can build with the data. Um, my co-founder and I realized, well, that's the future of the industry. People, innovative people consuming data differently, not just to look at it, but to actually do something and build something with it. Um, we knew FinTech was going to explode. This is back in 2012, 2013. Um, and that we could reinvent the supply chain for that information um, to plug it in everywhere that innovation is happening. 
So plug it into the fintech startups, plug it into bigger institutions who are building apps, redoing their trading platforms, um, plug in the data and make it accessible and easy to use and affordable for people that actually want to build something. Um, and that became the mission of the company. That's what we've done over the past couple of years. And it's fun because we get to now see our data come alive inside of hundreds and hundreds of just incredible innovations. Our customers are building really cool stuff. Do you think that the, the hard time innovators have getting data has a negative impact on like retail traders, like normal people who are looking for tools, but can't find them? Yes. Um, accessibility to the markets, accessibility to information is a huge problem. And I think a lot of our customers are solving that. I think we have a couple dozen different retail, you know, learn how to trade stocks, get started trading stocks, um, you know, check out our research. Here's an, a course for you that really opens up the market to those folks because they, you know, a lot of businesses struggle to pay for data. Certainly individuals can't afford it. Um, we don't sell directly to individuals, but what our clients are doing with the data is building platforms that does make this accessible for everyone. Yeah, I think that can make a real difference. Um, so you uh, didn't have a background in programming as a finance major or musical theater person um, when you were starting in Trinidad. How did you learn how to code? Ooh, it was ugly. Um, <laughs> I remember literally typing into my computer, how do you code and just diving? And I'm not joking. Um, and I think I found code Academy. I found this was, you know, way back almost a decade ago now, but there was even then, even a decade ago, there were a lot of resources online. Um, and I always like, like to talk about the skill that I learned through this journey of teaching myself to program, which was the concept of incremental growth. Like you don't have to boil the ocean on the first day right? Like you have to be, and you have to be an intro, you have to be a beginner for a while and it's okay. Right. And so recognizing that I'm not going to just build a website or like build our algorithm overnight, but I can make a square box appear on the screen. And then tomorrow I can turn it blue. And then the next day I can add a header and then just incrementally keep going from there. But if you aren't willing to be bad at something or, or be a beginner for a while, don't learn how to code. I mean, it is like, it is a journey. It's a lot of copy pasting, a lot of copying and, and cheating and using other people's um, code. Um, and you just have to wade through it and start doing it. Um, copy other people, sift through the code. Um, I just used the internet, frankly, and a couple of different free platforms got to the point where between me and my co-founder, we had the first version of our platform completely built. Um, so that I'm sure you understand because you do some coding yourself. Yes. I do data science, but not quite the same as front end stuff. Um, and now you've got a big team of developers, right? I've got a team of data scientists in Trina too. I don't do as much coding anymore. Um, do you think you'd recommend to uh, startup entrepreneurs that they learn to code, hire a mix of both initially? I mean, it may not be possible to hire through any funding. So like, how do you make that transition and get started, you know, going through yourself? Or would, would you recommend just hiring experts from the beginning? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, my views have changed a lot on this as I've been in business for longer, because what I realize now is just how competitive the technology space is. So you do not have time to get good. Back to the incremental growth piece, right? You're going to be a beginner for a long time. Like it takes decades to become a really, really, really good engineer. And we have those people on our team now. And I'm like, what if we would have had them that first year instead of, you know, we, 
where would we be today? I ask myself that question sometimes. So there is a small caveat here, but generally speaking, I would say if you are in tech and you are starting a business, you do not have time. Trust me, you will not get good fast enough to really make an impact and someone else is going to enter your space and you're going to be in a race with them. And so I would say absolutely find a technical co-founder. It can be really difficult to do that. Um, I was pretty lucky with my co-founder and that we kind of filled a lot of those gaps for each other. Um, we, we were both kind of half of a technical co-founder in a weird way. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. It's a slog. The flip side and the, the very small caveat is that um, there's this skit that I always reference when I describe this. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's the joke about project managers and they're sitting in a room with the engineers and the project managers go, all right, engineers, I need you to make me two lines. They have to be parallel and perpendicular at the same time. And the engineers are like, I don't know how to describe this to you, but what you're asking us to build is impossible. <laughs> the project manager's like, just build it. And the engineers are like, oh, how do you not understand this, right? And they just don't speak the same language. And so I've gotten rusty, but I think I have enough of a foundation in engineering that not only I think does my team respect me a little bit more, but I understand them. And what I say to them is that like, because of what I went through, I will never ask you for parallel and perpendicular lines at the same time. And if I ever do, you're free to call me out on it, right? And so having enough of an, you have to have enough knowledge if you're going to be in a technology company, like get dangerous a little bit, but you aren't, if you don't have the experience, you are not going to be the CTO. Enough to be credible, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so tell me a little bit more about like machine learning and AI. I know you've been, uh, I mean, she has been applying ML and AI to the supply chain for data for a long time, but like, why, what, what is it about that? That is, that is helpful. The value at the end of the day for people who are consuming data depends on a couple of different things. It's mission critical, right? If you're, say you're managing a billion dollar portfolio, garbage in, garbage out, right? The data, the information you're trading off of, it has to be fast, it has to be accurate, and it has to be affordable enough that you're not, you know, losing out and just unable to even run your business. You, know, you can't be a huge expense. For reference, Goldman Sachs spends $400 million a year on data, right? This is a huge industry behind the scenes. So recognizing that what matters to end users is speed, accuracy, and price, right? What most traditional large vendors do is they have teams of hundreds, if not thousands of analysts that are manually curating data sets. Contrary to what you might think, having a bunch of humans type data into a database is actually kind of scary, right? Because you have the fat finger problem. Not only is it a lot slower, but um, so now you're missing out on the speed piece, but from an accuracy perspective, we're using math essentially, right? When, when we say machine learning and AI and algorithmic approaches to cleaning and, and normalizing data. So our accuracy is actually far exceeding that of the larger vendors because we're taking that approach. And that was very important to us when I started the company. I said, we will never do anything manually. So help me God, right? We are starting a very automated company. We want to streamline this. We want to make it better. And so we're doing right now with a team of 30, what a lot of large vendors are doing with anywhere between 500 and 10,000 people. So not only does that approach using AI and ML mean that we're delivering a faster, higher quality product, it also means that we don't have to charge as much for it and we can put those resources towards other things like support and tools that really matter to the types of users that we're selling to. Uh, where do you think the industry's going next? So there has been all of this buzz about alternative 
data and there's new alternative data platforms and everyone's got satellites looking at parking lots and counting cars and footsteps and social sentiment and all of these things. And this has been going on for a very long time, um, but it's, it's really becoming mainstream, the alt data space. I'm a little hesitant on alt data, I think. And, and many people are starting to realize that you think you have a special piece of information that can show you market movement and show you alpha. But the second that any other person also has that information, <laughs> then the alpha is diminished, right? And so um, thinking, what I've heard from a couple of the hedge funds at a couple of conferences I've spoken, spoken at is that hedge funds are buying a lot of alternative data, but how many of them are using it? Because it's oftentimes unstructured, doesn't fit well into their schemas, or it's hard to consume. People don't know how to work with it. It doesn't link up with any existing models. And that can be a big challenge. So getting access to the data is only one piece of the battle. So I, I think there are some challenges with alternative data. There's certainly value there, but there's definitely challenges. Um, selfishly, I'm very excited about natural language processing because I think um, there is so much information and sentiment and trends out there based on spoken or, spoken or written words. Um, and we just in the past year have made advancements in natural language processing that allow us to actually take advantage of all that information and, and get insight out of it. And so the strides that that research has made in the past year, it's, it's scary exciting. Um, so, you know, historically, Intrinio is focused very much on quantitative data sets. That's catching my eye, right? We're working on products in that space now. So that is a, a direction I think the industry is heading that's very exciting. Um, you think that, you know, you talk about inefficiencies, right? Analysts having to read through reports and documents and PDFs, if we can create some efficiencies there, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the equity research space. So alt data is a trend that I'm worried about. I think it's harder than people think. Uh, NLP is something I'm very excited about. Um, those are just two trends I, that I kind of have my eye on. Love it. Um, all right, let's talk less about data and more just about business in general. Like, uh, what is one of the a tip you'd like to share with people like who are trying to start their own business, trying to innovate? Like, what is your uh, a business tip that's really helped you? Well, I'm actually going to steal this one from you because you you say it often and you say it in a different way. Um, Andrew at work likes to say, "This isn't my battle this week. I only get to pick one." And sorry, do whatever you want because it's not my battle today. And I've, I've picked my battle and you better believe I'm going to, I am going to go to war on it. Um, it, it's another way of saying almost everything doesn't matter all of the time, (laughs) almost everything. Right. Um, and it can be really difficult to figure out what your one thing is, right? What is the one thing that will move the needle in the early stages of a business? It is so critical that you dive in to just that one thing and make sure it works (laughs) Um, but it's hard because it requires you to say no to a lot of people. We're both Midwestern. That doesn't come easy for us, but it's been a skill that I've really had to work on. And I think it's super smart with business mentality to have in the beginning, which is no, I can't have coffee with you. No, I'm not coming to your generic startup conference that none of my customers are going to be at right No, I'm not, I'm not able to take that meeting. I, there's nobody at that meeting that is going to help me with my one thing. It's just my one thing right now. And literally nothing else matters. And it takes a laser, scary kind of a focus on it. But it's, you know, pick your battles, pick your one thing, say no to everything else. I wish I would have started doing that earlier. Yeah. And, it, and you say it out loud, what you're, fi- what you're willing to fight about right now for this at this time. It makes it more salient. You're like, all right, I have to win this one fight. 
it's really hard to work with people. I think, and myself included, I made this mistake for a long time in my career where I would fight about everything and anything all the time. And it's just stressful and exhausting and you can't actually win. You can't win your team over if you're, if you don't let them have their battle, let them fight their fight and support them in that, then nobody's going to support you because you're fighting all the time about everything. And it's actually made work way more fun for me. Um, And I think, I think other people can tell that too. Um, So, you, if you look at the progression of our business, there's like these plateaus that we bust through. And it's not like just continuously the, the business improves, revenue goes up and everything's just like, oh yeah, every day is a little bit better and awesome. It really feels like there are like breakthroughs that happen and then you slog. There's like this two quarters, three quarters, maybe a year where you're like, what are we doing? Nothing is working. You can't get through to that next level. How do you as a leader speed up those breakthroughs so that the, the time where your business is plateauing is shorter. Yeah. Well, the first thing is I hire really smart people. That is the key to it because it, I hate this cliche, but like it does take a village. Like I have a CTO because he knows more about technology than me. I have a COO in you because you know more about operations and you're way more organized than I am. Right. So surrounding yourself with a tribe that can get in the weeds with you Um, and have really strategic meetings and a tribe of people that aren't afraid to speak up, right? Challenge assumptions is one of our core values. We want people to start fights at every level of the organization and call things out when they see them. Um, And so we have this kind of decentralized is the right word, but we, we empower people to speak up at all levels of the organization because you get insight from those corners that can uncover huge problems that need to be fixed and huge opportunities. And so having that intelligence throughout the whole firm as just this layer of signals and warning signs that are going off is an incredible flow of intelligence for a CEO. Um, so that culturally makes getting over those blips a lot easier. Um, and I think you, you brought, and I can't remember what was the name of the, was it Amazon that has the, you know, we're not going to use slide decks in meetings. Memo, anymore. Yeah. Write, a, write a memo. If you have an idea, write a memo and make sure everybody reads it before the meeting. So you can actually spend your time talking through the problem together. That's how we have our leadership meetings now. Thanks to you bringing that, that trick to the table. And so many times I've had a member of my C-suite write up a memo that is very serious. Like, I think we need to fundamentally change this one thing we're doing and it's going to make a big difference for us. And it's not always, it's all, it's usually not my idea. Right. But you, they bring it to the table. All of our leadership team reads it ahead of time. Jots down notes come to the table. We solve big problems. We make big changes that way. So I think that it comes down to hiring smart people, decentralizing and allowing intelligence to come to you from everywhere. And then having really efficient meetings and allowing your leaders to, to bring ideas forward. Yeah. There used to be a reason why people had briefcases is you have a bunch of, you have these important documents to read that you would sit down and really think about and bring to your, bring to the meeting a serious approach to the problem. I think that writing it out um, ha- carries a different gravity than, you know, Oh, I got this idea. Let me just tell you about it quick. You can't really process it. Um, and I'm podcast yeah. um, is Jordan Peterson. And he talks about this a lot. He talks about the only way to think is really to write. You're not really thinking unless you're writing. And so Yes, a hundred percent. I agree with that. It's like, that's how you actually can learn from yourself and actually like materialize a thought that can really be compounded upon and brought to the table, but you have to write. Yeah. I love, um, and our, one of our, our other guests today is uh, Chelsea, who's a content creator from Trinio, senior content creator. 
So I think that's very apropos. Um, and I, you made me think of something else, which is I was asking about how do you break through those levels of growth? So we'll bring all these smart people together. And it's and as I look back over Neutrino's progression, the the idea that that one battle, that one thing we had to change to move to the next level, it always came from somewhere different. It, at one point in our growth, it might be our director of marketing has an idea or director of finance or um, someone on the dev team says, hey, we should build this thing. And all of a sudden you latch onto that, that idea. If you don't have those people at the table with you and the openness to say, I can't think of every solution all the time, and that's what the team is for, um, that makes a lot of a lot of sense why you would be able to bust down barriers more quickly, just having that diversity of opinions at the table with lots of perspectives. I must say there's also like no better feeling as a leader to be like, damn, like when somebody brings something forward and it comes from somewhere that you just net like and you are just, there's this feeling, I can't even kind of put my finger on it as a leader, you're like proud, right? And it's such, it's like the best feeling when one of my people solves a problem for me, right? It's a great feeling. It's a sign that you've hired great people. Yeah, I love that feeling, making someone else successful, making it about their ideas coming to the table, bringing them forward. And before you know it, you don't have to think anymore. <laughs> Perfect, I'm out of a job. I'm out of here. Bye. Okay. Well, that's it, Rachel. Mom would be so proud. Thank you for... Aww. Hey, mom. Hey, mom. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for this episode of FinTech What the Heck. I'm Andrew Carpenter. Thanks again to our sponsor, Intrinio, a financial data partner for innovators in finance. You can learn more at Intrinio.com. Join us again next time for more insight into the future of FinTech.